Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Thank you all for joining us for another episode with Dr. Richard Blackaby. It's good to see you. Well, thank you. It's always good to have people join us on this podcast as well. Yeah, and if it's your first time, a special welcome to you. And if you've been listening from the beginning, an even greater thanks to you. Yeah, uh, for well, it's fun too. We've been hearing from lots of people. Every time that uh, this podcast goes out, I get a bunch of emails or messages. People make comments on social media. And uh, that's always fun to know that uh, we're addressing topics that people are experiencing each week in their work and in in their life. Yeah. And if you have a question for us, a question for Richard, uh, feel free to shoot us an email. Or if you just have a topic, you say, hey, would you guys at some point address this subject? Yeah. Um, We'd love to be just as relevant as we possibly can be to where you're at right now. Yeah. We want to help all of us take our leadership to the next level. Yeah. you know, what we try to do here. So podcast at blackaby.org. You can send us an email, let us know what, what you'd like to hear. Mm-hmm. And today, um, it is another, uh, leadership book review. Yeah. And, uh, wh- what people. do we got? What do we have today? Well, we're going to look at, at uh, John Cotter and his book, Leading Change. Oh, yeah, classic. You know, I we actually went through this book in, in business school, so ah. it's, a, you know, it's a classic. Well, Cotter teaches at the Harvard Business School, and, uh, of course, being we a Harvard went. professor doesn't, don't hold that against him. Uh, this <laughs> book is somewhat practical nonetheless, but he is a scholar and uh, well-read and well-respected. And he's written several books. The, the one we really want to focus on today is Leading Change, but uh, he also uh, wrote a book about uh, called a sequel called A Sense of Urgency, which is uh, zeroes in on the first part of uh, the book Leading Change. So uh, two good books that I think are great for every leader to read. Good. And so um, why have we picked this Leading Change book and, and what's so uh, important about it? for us to look at as leaders. Well, Sam, I think uh, anyone who's led very long knows that leadership is uh, has its challenges, but probably no challenge any greater than the challenge of change. Mm. I just saw kind of a funny cartoon this week that said, uh, talking about pastors, saying uh, pastors enter the ministry planning to change the world. They get fired when they try to change the bulletin. <laughs> it's sort of like you go over changing the world. I can't even change a bulletin. I can't even change the order of the service uh, without uh, all kinds of um, flack coming my way. Oh, yeah. Uh, change is the Waterloo. And that's because, as Cotter makes very clear, even when things aren't going well, you may be in a church that's been in decline for the last 25 years. And still, when you try to change something to turn things around, you'll find all kinds of resistance. Yeah. I mean, you, you, it's like a ship that's half submerged. It's sinking and halfway under the water already. And you say, maybe we need to close some of these doors and do this and do that. And there'll be people saying, but we've never done that before. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're about to go under. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that, that means changing something. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes, I think changing things is almost more powerful or more painful to people than the uh, the consequence of of going bankrupt of closing mm. down uh that we're so emotionally tied in to what we do that to change it is emotionally painful 
Yeah. Uh, and so I think uh, because of that, Cotter has written a, one of those books that you just have to be familiar with. And certainly the, the concept, you, you've got to be well-read and you've got to have thought through, how am I going to intentionally go about making necessary changes in the organization in which I lead? Yeah, you know, that I think is, is just critical for leaders today. And so what does what uh, Cotter give us? Like, how, how do we lead change? Because that, you know, something that's so viscerally uh, opposed by most people. Yeah. Uh, and before we, you know, make fun of, you know, people who, who hate change, you know, just look in the mirror because uh, there's something <laughs> in our life that, yeah. you know, We've maybe known not we... obvious to us, but, but we don't want to change. Yeah, I think most people, there's something that we know we need to change. We just haven't been willing to pay the price yet to do that, even in our own personal life. Yeah. And so we things continue as they have been. Well, uh, Connor gives a real helpful uh, series of eight stages, eight aspects to change that he spells out that I think are pretty helpful, a good, good outline to go by. Yeah. And he starts out by saying the first thing they do, interestingly enough, is establish a sense of urgency. And you wouldn't think that that's a big deal. You'd think, well, you know, if, you're, if your church has been in decline for years, if sales are just plummeting, if you're having to close down stores because profits are so bad uh, and inefficiencies are just eating up all of your earnings, you, you think everybody would be on board to say, hey, let's change whatever has to be changed, but we, we can't keep losing money like this every month. Uh, but the fact is that what Cotter would say, in fact, the reason he wrote this second book, A Sense of Urgency, is that he came back even later to say, we grossly underestimate the, the need for a sense of urgency. Yeah. Unless people really, truly understand how urgent things are, uh, they will not want to change. He says the biggest um, resistor to change is complacency. Mm. Uh, and again, you could, you could look around and see... It, it, that uh, all the evidence cries out that changes need to be made, but that's what these people know. Even if it's even if it's decline, uh, they've grown comfortable in a declining environment, and uh, if if they've been in a company now that is uh, not making a lot of sales, uh, and they've learned to make excuses, and or um, sometimes actually what is uh, hard uh, is that there's just enough success. Mm. To to justify complacency. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, this this month we did have this sale. Well, we still are in the red. We still overall we're, we lost money. Yeah, but but we had this sale this month, and this person said they really liked uh, what our work, and and so we we look at the we seize on the successes, and it causes us to it dulls our sense of urgency. Yeah. And so he would say one of the most important things a leader can do is foster a sense of urgency. Uh, and, and he says that uh, leaders have got to be good storytellers. So they tell stories that demonstrate the urgency uh, and the need for change. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes PowerPoint presentations just don't get the job done. Uh, Cotter says our brains are not wired primarily for PowerPoint presentations, our, our brains are wired for stories. Yeah. And so good leaders are good storytellers, he would say, and they tell stories that reflect the urgency, the need for change. I remember years ago, uh, my brother was a senior pastor of our church, and we were in a building that, we, uh, that the auditorium we had outgrown. And we knew that in our heads, 
but that's the building that we'd always known. And it was a nice building and we had had a lot of memories there. Um, and so there were people who said, well, why go through an expensive building program and we, we have to stop meeting here in our auditorium and a lot of disruption and why can't we just keep things the way they are? And I remember at one point, uh, Mel telling a story about seeing people, visitors, coming late to the service and coming into the auditorium and there was no room anywhere for, for anyone else to sit. And these visitors actually turned around and left the church. They just thought, uh, well, there's no room for us here. Uh, they, have, they can't accommodate us. We'll have to go to a different church. And that created a sense of shock that people actually had come into our church, looked around and left because there was nowhere to sit. And my brother just said, folks, do you want that to keep happening over and over again, where we keep losing people who want to worship with us, who want to join our church family, but but we can't accommodate them because we have not created space for them? And it was stories like that that began to sort of permeate throughout the congregation to say, hey, we don't want that. That's yeah. terrible. Uh, you mean that's happening right now? Well, then what can we do so that that doesn't keep happening? Uh, and so those kind of stories, you just kind of say, let me tell you what happened this past week. Uh, and over time, you tell enough of those kind of stories, people begin to realize, yeah, we this is getting bad. We can't put this off anymore, uh, or it's going to cost us even more in the days to come. So first thing is establish a sense of urgency. Uh, second is create a guiding coalition. And what he, he means by that is even a great leader cannot create change all by themselves. You need a team to implement change, partly because a leader can't be getting down into the nitty-gritty all the time. Uh, there's, as we've shared in about delegation, uh, there are certain things only a leader can do, and so they need to focus on that. Uh, but, so that's why they need a team yeah. that can be helping you. And, and quite frankly, when you've led long enough, you realize that there are influencers in every organization. Yeah. There are power brokers. And before you launch into a major change, you better make sure that those influencers are on board with you. And so uh, there were a number of times over the years where I, before I launched out in a change, I made sure my VPs understood the need for the change and we were all together on this. Yeah. That uh, if I announced a change that uh, you could go to any of my key reports and they would all echo the same thing I had said. We're all in, uh, together on this. Oftentimes, I've seen leaders charge out alone, and they're charging out uh, into the field of battle for change, and they look around, and nobody's with them. Uh, they, haven't, they don't even have their key team members, their key influencers. And oftentimes, especially if you're a newer uh, leader uh, on the site, uh, everybody, you're making the grand announcement, but everybody's looking at the people who've been influencers for years all the middle managers just kind of saying, let's just wait this one out. We've heard this before. Yeah. Um, and so you've got to have a guiding coalition of people that also have influenced themselves and you're, you're solid together. Of course, that was Moses's problem. Yeah. He wanted to enter the promised land, but 10 out of his 12 spies uh, that were leaders of the tribes uh, were not with him. He didn't have a guiding coalition. Uh, and he tried to move forward when the majority of his middle managers were not on side. Uh, and that led uh, to historic failure. Uh, and so that's a, a classic example 
of saying, make sure you've got a team going with you together. It's not just you and your lone voice. Take time to get that coalition first. That's where you begin. You don't you don't announce change uh, from the the platform and the the, the podium. You you're in meetings with leaders. You one on one conversations and lunches. You. You, you first make sure those key influencers are with you. Then you make the announcement yeah. and put out the memo. A third thing is developing a vision and strategy. Uh, lots of people know that there needs to be change, but they've never developed a plan to, to make it so. It's, and so it just becomes wishful thinking. Yeah. Uh, and leaders have got to create a, a sense of vision, which is they've got to be able to describe what the future is going to look like. Yeah. And you've got to describe why that future is going to be good, uh, why the, the pain of change will be worth it. Yeah, I know we're all going to have to make sacrifices. I don't want to minimize that. I know some of you will have to be involved in a lot of, of change that will be painful and uh, time-consuming. But let me tell you what it's going to be like on the other side. Let me tell you how good your life will be, how good yeah. work will be uh, when this ha- is happening. And now you get to enjoy this. And this is all the benefits that you'll be experiencing on the other side. Um, and so leaders are constantly uh, describing what that is. And that's the third thing. Is there the, 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 Or the fourth thing is communicating the change vision. And Cotter basically says you can't communicate enough. Whatever, right. however much you are communicating, multiply that a couple times over until people are just almost tired of hearing about the change and the future and what it's going to be like. He says, you, we, we, most of the time we under communicate. We think because we gave one impassioned speech, everybody's on side. But he said at every level, whether it's in front of your entire team, whether it's a one-on-one lunch, whether it's just a casual conversation in the hallway, Every chance you have, talk about the vision of what the benefits will be when we make this change. Uh, he says we, we tend to think that because we had a great launch and we had a uh, really interesting PowerPoint presentation that now everything's fine. He would say no. It's, uh, change comes much more slowly and with more difficulty than we typically assume. Uh, people can maybe give you a surface kind of compliance, but they're really not bought in yet. It yeah. takes it takes time uh, to to really change people's minds and uh, to help them get ready for the change that's coming. Well, let's take a break here, and then we'll look at the other uh, stages that that Cotter lays out for for leading change. Twice a year, Blackbeam Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is May 6th through 8th, and registration is now open. The early bird rate is available until April 1st, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. So, Richard, we've seen that urgency is required. Yeah. Guided coalition, vision communicating that vision effectively. These are all steps that, that every leader needs if they're going to implement change in any organization. Yeah. What are the uh, the next steps? Well, the fifth one would be empowering employees for broad-based action. Um, and again, this is uh, you, you can stumble at any one of these levels. Uh, this says, if we're going to make the change, make sure you give people the tools, the equipment, the supplies, the budget to, to make the change possible. Uh, oftentimes, we, we, we think an impassioned speech is great, and then the leader has already moved on to something else. The next 
great idea that they have, but uh, they've, they've neglected the people that were tasked with getting the earlier change made. And I would say, and Cotter would say, uh, if you're going to truly create change, then make sure you've got the resources in place so that the change can take place. Uh, and give people the tools. The most frustrating thing is to talk big about change and then not have the budget, not have supplies in place, not have the personnel in place. Uh, and we, we've already moved on to the next big thing. And, uh, and so then change just falls apart. And, uh, and, and after, after doing that several times, people will, the next time you have a big change, they'll just blow it off and say, it's all talk. He's not putting his money on the table to make this so. He's not yeah. empowering people to do it. Uh, and that's uh, the leader is not responsible for implementing all the change. He needs a, a team of empowered uh, leaders that he has assigned to to follow through. And, yeah, that goes and, back to our talk on delegation. Yeah, uh, and that's why you need a team, and that's why one person cannot just change things. Uh, you you got to have a team that's working with you, and and they've got the tools to do it. Um, the, the sixth thing is generating short-term wins. And again, anyone who's led very much knows how important short-term wins are. Sometimes we just think about the final victory, the final, uh, accomplishment. But oftentimes if you're going to have a final accomplishment, you have to have a lot of smaller accomplishments along the way. And uh, you've got to celebrate those. And Cotter would say, especially if you've got a lot of resistance, if you've got a lot of doubters, uh, then you need more short-term wins. Uh, and I, I just can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, maybe you, it was going to be difficult even getting a loan at the bank, but uh, that was a victory because you got in to see the bank manager and he decided to, to go for this one with you and uh, to give you a better interest rate than you were anticipating. Well, that's a short-term win that could have huge uh, consequences and uh yeah. hey we, we heard from this person they want to help or this was a problem and but we we got this one solved uh you uh, leaders need to be good at celebrating those short-term wins hey look we're good because it's about momentum yeah. change often comes as a result of momentum uh it's, it's like trying to knock a door down you know if you're standing right next to the door and you push on it that might not be enough but you, you take some steps back and you start running full full weight into that door, uh, there's a lot more force there. And so to get an organization up to speed where it hits that door, that barrier, full, for, full bore, uh, that comes from small wins that keep adding up and creating momentum. And so celebrate those wins. Yeah. Uh, and say, and, and if you're in a spiritual setting, if, like a church, uh, recognize this is God, is God has provided once again. And God has provided a dozen times in these small ways, which should assure us that if he has already done these 12 things, that he's with us. He is moving in this direction. He's affirming that we're going in the right direction. And so clearly he's going to provide whatever we need. Mm. And so celebrate those wins. And I'd also say there's, just, there's always um, critics that are going to be looking for anything negative. Yeah. Uh, as a leader, you control the narrative. Don't let the critics and the pessimists constantly uh, highlight anything that looks negative. You, you take center stage and you keep celebrating all the positives and uh, the things that are going well. And you let that be what people are talking about, not the setback here or there that inevitably comes. 
And the last two things, uh, he says, consolidate gains and produce more change. Um, and oftentimes, change is not a one-time process. Change uh, is uh, incremental. It, it happens step by step. And so sometimes you need to consolidate the gains that you have made, those small wins. Make sure that you, you consolidate those. Some of those may be lost. Don't yeah. take those for granted. Uh, and I've seen this happen before where uh, a leader began with a lot of momentum and excitement, but then the leader took his uh, eye off the ball, began looking at other places, thinking about other things. And uh, many of the gains were lost. Much of the momentum was lost. And so he would say, consolidate those gains. Uh, put those, uh, nail those down. Uh, and, uh, and then look to build upon that to have even further gains. One thing I kind of say that relates to that as well, and that is uh, dealing with opposition. Uh, some of the consolidating of gains is that uh, over time, you've got to also determine who's on board here, who is with me. Who is, yeah. who is accepting that this is important? If you've got some people that continually resist you, that no matter what you say, no matter how many small wins there are, this person is determined to fight you tooth and nail every step of the way, despite a dozen small wins that indicate that we're in the, going in the right direction, uh, despite the fact that uh, overwhelmingly people are embracing this change and moving forward, if you've got some people that just are determined to resist change at all costs, then there comes a point where you've got to do some of that dirty work to say, then maybe you don't need to be on my leadership mm. team. Maybe yeah. you don't even need to be on the staff. Uh, maybe you need to be marginalized. I know you've held a prominent role for years in this organization, but really your voice has just become very negative. And if we're really ever going to make it to the finish line, we may need to move some of these negative folks out of key leadership roles that, uh, because they're just looking for an opportunity to scuttle what's happening here. So in time, you find those people that are on board, that are supportive, that are jumping in and, uh, and doing all they can to help. You put those people into key leadership roles. You, you reward them for their support. Uh, and uh, you marginalize those that are opposing and dragging their heels and underperforming. Sometimes people just try to scuttle uh, a change because they don't want it to succeed. So they do a poor job themselves. They don't follow through. And in time, if you really want to consolidate progress, then um, you need to remove some of those people. And that's the hard, hard side of change. But uh, he actually has uh, some he, he, people he calls no-nos, which means um, th their response is always going to be no. It doesn't matter how compelling the evidence. It doesn't matter if 99% of people are ecstatic about the change. There will be some that no amount of evidence is going to change their mind. They will always be opposed. Yeah. And if, you've, if you have those kind of people long-term, uh, it, it doesn't mean that you never tolerate a, neg a, a naysayer or someone that has a voice of caution. But if you find someone that is just fundamentally opposed to any change under any circumstance, you will never have a bright future as long as you tolerate folks like that on your team. And so change also lets you kind of see who's really loyal and supportive and willing to do whatever is necessary for the good of the organization. And then those who just want their comfort level uh, to always stay at the same. 
The last thing is just uh, anchor new approaches in the culture. And he would say that culture is changed very slowly. In fact, he, uh, uh, almost uh, disturbingly, he says it can take years uh, to, change, to truly change culture. Uh, but change really is not, is not secure until it's embedded in the culture. If you're the boss, if you control the purse strings, you can force through some changes, at least at a surface level. But it's, but, uh, it's not necessarily a permanent change until it's in the culture. You may yeah. move on to another job, and sometimes you can be amazed and disappointed at how quickly the changes you implemented are done away with, and they go back to the way it used to be. And you think, well, I thought we changed all that. Well, it was changed at a surface level, but not in the culture. Uh, it, it didn't go deep. Yeah. It, it, didn't, it, it wasn't in people's thinking uh, now that they valued this. Uh, true change takes place when now it's, it's in the culture as well, in people's mindset. Now they, now they think about it as this is the way we do things here. Uh, ever since the change, we value this, and this is how we all believe it should be done now. Now, now you've created real change. And so uh, a great book to read. I recommend it uh, for folks. Uh, it's one of those topics I think every leader has got to work through uh, because it will eat your lunch and yeah. could cost you your job yeah. if you try to change things in an ill-prepared way. And so books on change, there's lots of them out there, but Cotter, probably one of the foremost experts on that subject and certainly uh, worth the read before you embark on a major change. He's a secular person, so I might just add, as a Christian, uh, if you're applying it to a church, you're applying it to Christians all praying and seeking God's guidance, there's another element to changing uh, besides just what he lays out, mm -hmm. but certainly some fundamental leadership principles you can apply, yeah. secular, spiritual as well, and certainly worth a read. Absolutely. So, Richard, what is the next book we're going to review for this uh, series? Well, uh, Sam, there's another book that has been used often as a textbook in various uh, Doctor of Ministry seminars and other places I've taught and, and uh, spoken, and it's uh, called the, uh, the Leadership Challenge by Kutz and Posner. And they've written several subsequent books after that, but this is a book that's used often as a textbook. It's a big book, covers a lot of uh, waterfront, but uh, it's another book that, it's a secular book, but uh, one that I think addresses a lot of different leadership issues. And so mm -hmm. if uh, our listeners are trying to read along with us, they better get started, because oh, there's yeah. a lot of pages in the Leadership Challenge, especially the later editions, because they've had several New editions revised out, and updated, and that always means that it grows and there's more pages to read now. Well, good. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.